Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the first VUX World of 2023. Happy New Year to you all. Hope you had a nice relaxing break. I certainly did. I didn't touch my phone, didn't go on social media, didn't check any emails, spent all of my time uh, building train sets and building Lego uh, apparatus <laughs> with, uh, with Artie, which is good. Did you have a good Christmas, James? I, I did quite quiet, which is which I think is always good these days. Um, after a hectic kind of year, uh, it was good just to take a take a break and unwind. Definitely, definitely nice one. If you can hear Winston in the background, that's because my son is just going home from school. So Winston, the dog, goes absolutely mental. Uh, I will tell you about the, uh, the the European Chatbot Summit, which is coming up in um, in March. And uh, I'll put in the show notes the link for you to save 30% on your tickets if you want. Uh, what we're doing basically is we're doing very similar to the Voice Summit. If any of you joined us at the Voice Summit, you'll know that we did a track at the Voice Summit where we had uh, we had the program for the whole day. We had Landry's Restaurants. We had Florida Blue. We had uh, Core AI, Cognigy, Poly AI, a whole bunch of really interesting companies uh, and enterprises presenting some really great case studies. This year, we've got Vodafone, Total Jobs, Decathlon, LNER, Love Holidays, a whole bunch of really, really interesting brands in their case studies about how they're using conversational AI to improve customer experience and business processes. It's on the uh, 16th of March, I believe it is. And uh, right now, if you go to the website, you'll save 30%. So I'll put the link in the show notes. If you're listening on a podcast player or LinkedIn, go into the show notes after this and uh, you can find out more about how to get those tickets there. And so on with the discussion, James Brooks, thank you for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. First podcast of the year. Super excited to get back into the swing of things. So thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, so you are the innovation principal at Capita. Have I got that title right? That's right. Yeah. Cool. So, what does the innovation principal do at Capita? Well, so I'm, I guess I'm part of a, a small uh, innovation team, uh, and we're responsible for doing things fundamentally differently to how they've been done uh, previously or traditionally. Um, and that might be through uh, process or solution redesign. It might be software development internally, um, or it might be partnering with uh, vendors that offer something more disruptive in the marketplace. Uh, for me personally, that's where my focus has been over the last couple of years. So looking at the latest and more disruptive technology that we can bring uh, into Capita uh, to create solutions and better outcomes for, for, our, for our clients and their customers. Mm, nice. And Capita, I think uh, there might be some people in, in the UK who know of Capita. Certainly if you work in government, you've probably come across Capita, possibly retail. I know Capita does work kind of in retail. I'm sure lots of other industries as well. But for those maybe in the US and further afield that perhaps not quite as familiar with Capita, I wonder whether you can give us a kind of whistle-stop tour of, of what the company does. Sure, yeah. So Capita has traditionally been one of the UK's uh, biggest uh, BPOs with over kind of 55,000 employees, I think we're at currently. Um, we're across Europe, uh, the UK, uh, South Africa, and a footprint in, in India as well. Um, today, we're focused on being more of a digital services and transformation partner. Um, and like you said, it's both public and private sectors uh, and across a range of industries, um, including kind of retail, uh, utilities, both energy and water, um, and both central and local government as well. Mm, nice. And what, what's your background then? What were you doing before Capita? Um, so it's always been uh, kind of analytics and technology-based roles. Um, so I started a long time ago in a call centre uh, while I was at college, deciding whether to take a year out or not. And um, I took a year out, and I'm still on that year out. Um, <laughs> I, I worked for a company called G Money, um, which is an offshoot of G Capital. Um, 
the American brand, um, and then from there moved into a company called uh, Ventura and looked at uh, kind of risk and collections um, from a strategic perspective and, and also technology uh, before moving into insight improvement. Um, and Capita ended up buying uh, Ventura, so that's how the move to Capita came about. Uh, but yeah, a, a range of, te- of uh, technical and uh, analytical roles. Nice, nice. They say that if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work again in your life. So it's good that you're still on the air out. must mean that you're enjoying what you're doing. It's good. <laughs> That's good. Uh, cool. So so tell us a, little bit about, a bit about how you kind of got interested in, in conversational AI then. Where did that sort of interest first begin? Well, I guess being part of uh, kind of innovation, we're always looking for the kind of latest, greatest and the the newest trends. Um, And a number of years ago, when chatbots first came to the scene, um, like with anything, uh, you know, clients started to come to us with requests for a chatbot. Um, And our usual pushback was kind of, well, what do you want a chatbot for? And, you know, we we kind of see these things happen uh, in cycles. And it started with like social media. So um, everyone, when social media first came out, Twitter and Facebook, everyone knew uh, they had to be on Facebook and Twitter, but they didn't really know what they were going to do on there. Uh, and it's kind of obviously branched out now where you have kind of a customer service channel and a, a PR channel, if you like, and, and everything's kind of settled down with that. And we saw the same with chatbots um, uh, as well. So clients started to come to us and ask for ch- chatbot technology, um, but without any real kind of purpose as to what the, the outcome was that they were trying to drive um, in many cases. Um, and I think like most companies, we kind of dabbled with uh, creating our own. So we played around with um, you know, the likes of uh, Amazon Lex, for example. Um, you know, they've obviously got Google Dialogflow um, and the Microsoft Bot Framework as well. Um, and quite honestly, that's a lot of work. Um, and it wasn't something we wanted to do or replicate uh, for each individual client over and over just because of the amount of resource uh, that we'd have to sink into that uh, and maintain it over time. Um, and then a few years ago, we came across um, a partner um, that did something slightly differently in this space. Um, uh, and it meant that effectively we didn't have to kind of build all of those uh, rules, utterances, and, and do the maintenance. Um, it's quite interesting. So the, the first, when we first spoke, um, GPT, ChatGPT hadn't, hadn't really come to the fore, um, mm. but now it has and it's kind of exploded. Um, and effectively the partner that we've chosen is a, a GPT-style um, uh, conversational AI, and we've been working with them for a, a couple of years now. So it's, it's a very different way of... Um, uh, providing conversational AI, it's much more lighter touch for uh, for our clients because they don't have to really do too much um, in terms of uh, setting up and maintaining. Um, mm. So yeah, so that we found that that really works well for us and is working really well for a range of our clients. Mm, interesting. Yeah, there's some interesting technologies out there that um, whether they use large language models specifically, a lot of them tend to use more kind of um, more advanced semantic understanding. And also one, for example, like Igo, which is essentially the whole thing is structured around the basics of the human brain. And so it kind of functions very similar to that. And it has like knowledge graphs and ontologies on the back end and stuff, which kind of, um, you know, it kind of, you can, when you interact with it, you could probably be fooled for believing that there's some sort of large language model behind there, but it's actually just built based on understanding. Is that kind of a similar sort of technology that you're kind of working with? It is. I mean, fundamentally, um, it always impresses me when we kind of go through this with clients and uh, I do a lot of the demonstrations and um, I'm always kind of blown away just going through the demonstra- demonstrations about how quickly uh, the technology can uh, can start to work. But well, I mean, effectively, the, the technology we use can read. Um, it has that large language understanding. Um, so at the top level, it understands uh, verbs, nouns, adjectives. Um, it, it has a, effectively a reading age. If you do the reading age tests, it has a reading age of around 14. Um, so for context, that's like the Guardian newspaper is written in uh, in that sort of age range 
um, and then it matches the context of uh, of your utterance or your intent um, and then matches that to whatever uh, knowledge we've pointed it at. So effectively, if we give it some reading material, um, it will try and match what you've asked, uh, understanding intent, and then bring back an answer from that knowledge base, um, which mm. typically would be uh, the client's website, for example. Right, okay. So that's the is that the use case that, that you're kind of focusing predominantly on or the way your clients have been looking at most is the sort of like information retrieval, uh, knowledge kind of finding use case? Yeah, so I mean, the sweet spot is around kind of FAQs um, and simple transactions. Um, you know, websites have just become huge repositories of information. Um, a weave of human beings and, and consumers have become um, much more uh, around uh, kind of immediate consumption. If we can't find it within the first few seconds, we kind of give up, even though the answer is probably there somewhere. Um, so the, the, the chatbot technology is effectively a better way of retrieving that information um, in a conversational style, which feels very, very natural, um, which is what we want it to be. I mean, we, we're trying to push uh, the idea of conversation being king. We want natural conversations, not uh, kind of one word kind of uh, bill. Uh, where's my order mm. kind of thing. We want we want to gather as much of a, a natural conversation so it feels like you're still having an interaction with the brand rather than trying to just self-serve, if that makes sense. So a much more uh, human-like interaction. Yeah, interesting. So with this technology, do, can you name the partner? Do you know who that is? Or Yeah, of course, yeah. So uh, the partner is Conversations by Amy. Okay, Amy. I don't know I've come across that conversations by Amy. Uh, okay, look at that. Uh, yeah, I've never, I've never come across that. I mean, I've, I've come across a few that are, sound very similar, uh, which you know, like Vlooper sounds fairly similar technology-wise. Um, I think Ego, as I mentioned, sounds similar. Um, Zero Shot Bot probably, but Zero Shot Bot is more transformer-based. Um, so you've got this technology then that you can utilize for these kind of information retrieval use cases. And the aim you said was to basically allow clients to get set up easily without many much heavy lifting. Is that understand understand that right? Yeah, exactly. So from a technical perspective, um, the only real reliance that we have on the client is to physically make um, the technology available uh, through their website or through whichever channel uh, they want to serve the customer. So whether that's um, uh, you know Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, WhatsApp, for example, uh, typically is web chat uh, kind of uh, deployment um, and it is available in app as well. Um, but ultimately, once they've kind of made that available, um, and that, that's usually a quick process um, from, the, from the people that would do that, um, technically that's all we require from them. Everything else is then done on uh, the capture and partner side where we, um, obviously the, the technology reads uh, the websites. Uh, there's a team of linguists which then kind of contextualize uh, the technology understanding of the, the content that it's read. Um, there might be some teaching of specific uh, kind of client acronyms, for example. Um, and then it's much more around just teaching it uh, the utterances um, in as much volume as we can. Um, so the understanding of the knowledge is, is generally always always there very, very quickly. Um, but as, as you'll be aware, you know, the different ways that people will ask questions is the bit where uh, we need kind of higher volumes uh, of data. And, and typically, if we get to a, a decent point um, before we go live, and then the first kind of few weeks when you go live and you're having real conversations with customers, the learning curve is, is quite steep and uh, you see improvements very, very quickly. Mm, yeah, interesting. Um, how So these days... If a customer or client comes to you and says, I want a chatbot, yeah. you said that before the question was why. Yeah. What, how, has that question changed now? Now that you uh, have some capability? Like, oh, how, 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 yeah, what's the conversation like now when a customer comes to you and says, 
I mean, we are very proactive, obviously, in pushing it because we now know the benefits um, that we think the, that the client will be that we'll be trying to look for. Um, but ultimately, the question hasn't really changed. It is what what is your outcome? What is your key drivers uh, or KPIs that you want to uh, want to change? And you know, everyone says customer experience uh, is is first and for, foremost. But when you kind of dig down to it, it is ultimately around um, kind of doing things in a more uh, efficient way uh, and taking the burden of the, the kind of the high higher volume, lower value conversations away from uh, from the humans. Um, and the agents in the, in the contact centres um, and are operating a more of a self-service model um, through digital channels. Um, so that, that typically is still the way. Um, and it's just, it comes around to kind of which journeys um, does the client want versus what we think uh, is appropriate for, um, for the bot to work through um, uh, and what's, um, what is the best way to achieve the outcomes that they've set out ultimately. Mm. And so you're in the innovation team and you mentioned at the beginning that you're trying, you know, you're exploring ways of, you know, trying to help Capita do things a bit differently. You're trying to kind of, you know, I suppose modernize for want of a better phrase that, you know, certainly in government, I know Capita has got a lot of long contracts, fairly legacy systems at play. And, and so it seems as though the idea of this is to kind of, um, you know, investigate this emerging technology to be able to be ahead of the game so that you can continue to sort of be out in front in terms of providing value to clients and stuff. With it being the job of innovation to prove out those kind of value propositions, is this at a stage where it's still within innovation at Capita or is this technology and and these kind of conversations happening wider outside of your kind of your team and your division? Sure. So, that, I mean, it has uh, kind of evolved. So if you'd have asked me that six months ago, I would have said it's, it's probably still within innovation. Um, mm. But I think the the kind of the, the use cases are definitely proven now. Um, the uh, the manner in which we roll out the technology is kind of proven. And we, we do that, as I say, we want it to be as light switch as possible. So how Capita fits in and, and provides a service in that space is now defined. Um, so I think we're at that tipping point. So where I, um, I guess I'm still, from a Capita perspective, the, the subject matter experts uh, for this particular technology, um, it's it's a conversation that more of our salespeople are having much more of our kind of operational teams are starting to get aware of the technology and pushing it to kind of clients internally through their own contacts as well. So it is starting to become more mainstream and more of a BAU service and less about innovation and holding on to it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The kind of um, the sales teams and stuff, at first, from my experience with other organizations, the sales team can, obviously, they've got a lot of different products to sell, a lot of different kind of agendas going on. But when they see this stuff working, it's quite kind of inspirational. It can kind of give you a bit of a glimpse of something exciting, something quite novel and a bit of a glimpse of the future. So it can get people quite excited, can't it? Yeah, very much so. And we, we try to do that. That's, um, I guess, innovation in terms of what we what we want to help uh, provide to our clients, but also how we present that information to uh, our clients we have to innovate in that sense as well um, uh, that's something that we, we had to learn quite quickly because when you're talking about very new kind of prospects and concepts and um, a lot of people don't get it and it's not through any fault of their own it's just that you know that's mm. not what they've uh, they've seen before and it's not necessarily their field of expertise um, so you have to be able to present it in a way uh, which shows that and you know demonstration like you mentioned there is is the best way to, to kind of do that so wherever I can I tend to do live demonstrations and uh, really let the technology speak for itself Mm. I suppose so an interesting question to, to and I don't know your thoughts on this but Capita is a BPO it traditionally and historically has had kind of processes from businesses outsourced to it yeah. and so it kind of manages 
you know, I know, I know that organisations I've worked with in the past, Capita has managed entire council tax departments, basically. So all the calls go through Capita, all the applications go through Capita. You know, it, it can kind of run and, and manage full kind of, you know, business processes. And in that sense, Capita sort of manages the entire thing. And, and, and within that, there's opportunities for Capita to make improvements to its own processes. So, for example, if one application process for argument is a little bit clunky, Capita can, can iterate on that and, and streamline it to make it better for the customer, better for the business. You kind of you would think that the same approach you would kind of take, and I know it's it sounds as though it's early days in terms of conversational AI because it's only just beginning to get into business as usual out of innovation and stuff like that. And so, with the technology partners that you kind of have, does it give you the flexibility to move outside of those FAQ use cases? I'm just thinking kind of long term from a capita perspective. If a customer comes to you and says, "Okay, these FAQs are really great," We actually want people to be able to apply for a credit card or change their address or apply for this certain thing. How how do you approach those kind of use cases or have you not kind of got to that with customers yet? Are they not asking for those things? No, we definitely are. I mean, some clients are slightly further along uh, in those journeys than others. Um, uh, but you're right. It, it, it's kind of, I guess it comes after you've kind of got in through a proof of concept stage. Um, you see the benefits uh, that the technology is bringing. Um, and then you want to see, well, what, what continuous improvement kind of initiatives can you drive? Uh, and typically, that's going to come from being able to access more information about the customer and personalize the journey. Um, so like you say, it could be about being able to retrieve um, you know, real-time information about the customer and bring that into the conversation. The customer may want information specific to them um, and again if they if we can authenticate them through the conversation and then bring that information into the chat again there's a higher chance that you will um, uh, contain that uh, conversation digitally rather than needing to hand off through to uh, to a live advisor so yeah so the use of, uh, of kind of apis and being able to get into uh, our clients um, uh, internal systems and pull back customer specific information um, is generally where we're, we're kind of pushing uh, the envelope a little bit in terms of being able to take the containment rates and, and effectiveness um, of the conversational AI uh, to the next level. Mm, nice. I, I kind of got this um, this model for scale around conversational AI, which is, um, first of all, you absolutely have to have the tools. So the, the people and the tools in the process, you need to be able to create something first. And then once you've got something out there in the world and it's working and it's doing its job, you kind of expand in three kind of areas. So first, you, you need to expand in terms of the breadth of what you offer. So covering a large amount of use cases. And from there, that's where you go from FAQs to probably interpreting. So we've got this maturity model, which goes from um, uh, it goes from deflecting, which is the FAQs, to interpreting, which is starting to retrieve data from systems, as you kind of alluded to. You've got transacting, which is actually pushing data into systems to kick off processes and things like that. You've got uh, assisting, which is getting a lot more sophisticated with your dialogue management and be able to preempt customer needs. If someone says calls a telco and says, Netflix keeps buffering. Maybe they're telling you that their internet's going slow. Um, so you need to more sophisticated dialogue management for that. And then you've got transacting, which is kind of like revolutionizing the way that the business process operates by delivering better than human experiences and end-to-end sort of conversational services. Um, and so I can't remember where I was going with that now. Oh, it was the, the scale. That was it. <laughs> the scale was that, first of all, you've got the breadth. So you need to cover a wide, wide variety of use cases, which goes through that model I've just explained. Then you've got the um, availability. So expanding through channels. So if it starts as a chatbot, maybe it goes into WhatsApp or social or goes into the contact center, goes into the mobile app, expanding the channels. And through that, you get adoption, which is the third part. 
availability, uh, breadth or capability or coverage rather, uh, expansion channel-wise availability and then adoption. And so how are you thinking about that? It sounds as though the middle, the first part, the tools, the people, the processes, you're kind of getting that figured out. You're starting to explore those use cases, moving beyond FAQs and stuff like that. At the moment, we're predominantly talking about chat, but how are your thoughts on that kind of like the, the third element of that scale model, which is availability, making this thing available in, in more channels than chat? How are, you thought, how are you thinking about that at the moment? So we, so we absolutely position um, our AI as that one brain across all channels. So we want, right. um, you know, because if, we, if, we're giving, if we're giving the AI, AI the right knowledge to use uh, and respond with, um, then we should be able to serve all channels. And whether that's um, obviously th- through the web, through the app is, is kind of traditional now, uh, but then we, we are already into kind of Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, um, you know, Instagram's opened up their API for, for messaging. Um, there's no reason why we can't push into social quite, quite easily and simply. Um, and then through to more complex stuff uh, using voice. Um, so being able to, in effect, sit in front of the IVR um, and see if you can um, you know, help the customer self-serve in the IVR through voice um, and then even direct the conversation, um, let the AI direct the conversation rather than having to go through uh, an IVR menu. Um, and then we, you're kind of thinking um, beyond once you've got the voice working, we're talking about digital characters, avatars, um, and how that might come into play and whether that's um, you know, in location, um, experiences that you can drive through voice um, using the same AI. So you're getting this consistent experience across all channels uh, and effectively locations as well. Mm, definitely. That's that's where, where it's heading. I think the <clears throat> there's some considerations there around uh, specific channel UIs. So like, you know, for example, WhatsApp, you won't be able to use the buttons, the click buttons like you can on chat and stuff like that, which may present an interesting challenge and the, and the language model implication of moving to voice and stuff. But I think that's definitely where people are moving to isn't it is that single brain omni-channel um and digital i definitely want to get into talking about digital humans because that's definitely an area of interest but before that while we while we stick on to the conversational ai specific piece what's your thoughts on you know you mentioned chat gpt earlier on uh it's taken <laughs> the world by storm uh which has been great because it's it's taken conversational ai out of the the kind of bubble of conversational ai and it's yeah. put it into the hands of teachers and students and marketers and that what are your thoughts in terms of one chat gpt but also large language models in general I think this is the future. I mean, I've had um, access to the GPT-3 sandbox for for quite a while, so I've kind of seen a lot of this already. And obviously, ChatGPT um, has now been put out there to the masses, and they've got over a million uh, kind of people using it on a on a day to day basis. But uh, it's been it's been really fascinating to see the the range of different use cases that people um, are trying it out with. You know, people are, are using it for kind of content creation um, in the moment and that type of thing. And I think. Yeah, it's kind of the sky's the limit for that, um, uh, for, for ChatGPT and, and anything that, that kind of sits on top of it or of us uh, kind of a similar um, way of working. Um, I think we're at that point where we're, we're kind of moving from VHS to DVD now. Um, you know, we might see the end of rules-based kind of chatbots now. Um, and I'm, I think that's a good thing, you know, that... Chatbots traditionally, and they've probably got a bad rep at the moment, and they've got a bad rep because while they tend to be marketed as artificial intelligence, they're not really intelligent, right? They still have to be told what to do, uh, and they have to be told what to do by always the the weakest link in any automation, which is the human being. Um, 
uh, and there you go. So I think we're, we're kind of taking away a lot of the human effort in terms of kind of setup and maintenance by moving to these types of uh, of models now um, and just focusing more on uh, the deployment, uh, the use cases, um, uh, and that's where the human can add value and, and kind of guide it rather than need to be in, in, uh, integral to the to the whole process from start to finish. Mm, definitely, I, I would argue that NLU already kind of killed the uh, the sort yeah. of keyword based chatbots. I reckon that LNMs. Whether they would kill the 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 headline you would write would be LLMs kill the intent you know or kill intent based NLU models, but I don't know whether that's necessarily true. Like I definitely, definitely, definitely think that there is something extremely interesting going on with large language models. And as soon as you take GPT three or three point five, and you or instruct GPT as it was rather, and you put Chat GPT in there. Now it's got a converse, proper conversational front end. You can yeah. manage the context of the conversation. You can have a dialogue with it. <clears throat> it really does change things, and you can start to see, like, obviously now it's basically just generating stuff based on internet text, but you can see a world absolutely where you would feed it a process, even a process map. Feed it a process map, and this is what needs to happen at each of these stages, and this is the outcome we want to get to. Now get the customer through this process, and this is the information we need to capture. So we need to get, you know, I don't know, in the um, let's take a, I don't know, retail exact returns. We need we need order number, product type, uh, pickup address, whatever. Just get that information from the customer and put it into this system. <laughs> you yeah. can kind of see it getting there. So I, I think it's actually maybe the death of the intent based NLU. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think it's definitely a pivotal uh, kind of point. And, um, you know, I don't think we should be looking back. We should be looking forward um, and how to, to better use or better make use of, the, of this type of technology. Now, I think, yeah, if we're, if we're still looking at kind of the rules based stuff, um, we, are, we are stuck in the past and we'll get overtaken quite quickly in that space. Mm. I'll tell you, it just made me think there. Amazon was probably not ahead of the game, but it certainly had something that I reckon it should have been shouting more about or proving out in practice. Did you ever come across Alexa Conversations? Yeah, quite a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, So, and I don't really know what happened to that because it, it, you could only use it for a certain number of use cases, but that's basically what you did. You just said, this is the information I want to collect. Now go and manage the conversation, and it kind of did it, which is essentially it's a large language model understanding the formulation of conversation and it just kind of, you know, it does it. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, but it was, yeah, it was never really kind of pushed out there, was it? It was never publicized with any great yeah. intent. Yeah. And I don't think it was necessarily even rolled out as a generally released kind of feature. It's when I, st- I kind of stopped working with Alexa right around the time when this was kind of going on. So maybe it did. I don't know. Uh, if someone does know that, please drop me a message because I'd like to see where it is now because it's, uh, yeah interesting stuff what about how are you thinking about sort of like obviously with these things there's the there's the uh potential for them to hallucinate there's a potential for them to you know turn sour um we haven't seen that necessarily evidence with chat gpt in in terms of it being you know turning racist or whatever because i think there's a bit more controls (laughs) in play but it still can hallucinate produce in inaccurate um output and so up to now my kind of thoughts have been sort of like it's good for creation good for design helping helping you with the design but not so good for like production use cases i don't know if you've kind of got a difference of opinion on that from what you've been learning about Uh, yeah i mean i think you're right in terms of at the moment he's got access to basically everything right everything that's ever been put into kind of digital uh into the digital realm um and that can be quite scary um 
and that comes comes down to then how you use it in your particular use case and, and kind of how we do it, which is if you deploy it just to the website, so that if the the website um, or a specific knowledge repository is the the only place where it can get information from, you're kind of you're safe at that point because hopefully everything that's published to the website has been approved, um, is on brand, um, and it's kind of there. And even if it was to get the the answer wrong, hopefully you're not giving anything away which is too detrimental. You know, the customer can see that the answer is probably not right or that the the intent has been missed and can ask the question in a different way, perhaps. Um, to try and get the answer so I think, I think yeah. that's the way but you have to you're right you have to be very careful I mean I don't think anyone um, now is kind of prepared to kind of just put an open AI um, widget on their uh, on their website and just let customers talk to you because obviously they could ask anything and get a response or anything through your brand so yeah dangerous territory <laughs> um, but but these things are, are very interesting well, they're interested enough for customer service customer experience kind of use cases Um but they get even more interesting when you do couple them with something like a digital human, because I think I was having this conversation today with someone and I think that people have got to a point now, not in all cases, but there's a good enough proportion of people that now understand what a chatbot is and they're kind of not necessarily going to ask it the weather, <clears throat> not necessarily going to ask it, are you real? <clears throat> you might get that, but a lot of people have been trained now where they, their mental model is this thing does a specific job and I'll try and use it to get that job done. Whereas with digital humans, we're opening up this huge novelty space again where not many people talk to digital humans <clears throat> um, on a routine basis. So the first time we get exposed to them, it's going to be like chatbots in 2016 where we're asking it, you know, how old are you? Are you real? Have you got a girlfriend? You know, where are you from? <laughs> and it's kind of like, so, so the large language models, I think, could play a real interesting role there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we're, so we, we're in that space now of working with uh, digital characters and we have another partner that's uh, integrated to, um, to our uh, conversational AI partner as well. So we, we have that connection in place. But um, separately, I have um, kind of hooked up GPT-3 to uh, the avatar just so that you can basically talk to the avatar about anything as kind of a demonstration model, um, which is really cool just to kind of see and show off uh, the character and, and the different ways that it can react and speak and intelligently um Listen. Um, use its animation, facial animation, to um, respond to to what you're saying and how you're saying it, um, and then speak back in the right uh, in the right way, uh, the correct response as well. So uh, it's really really interesting space, and I think it's the the natural uh, kind of evolution of uh, kind of chatbots now. Is to kind of put that real kind of well, not necessarily real face, but um, a character in front of the chatbot, so that it isn't faceless anymore, and it does feel a little bit more human like in terms of the interaction. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you, um, if you if you come across uh, Amelia, the company used to be yes. IPsoft, now Amelia, yeah. So they they kind of built the whole thing around Amelia, which was their avatar. Yeah. And they initially found that customers weren't going for the avatar; they were kind of just going with the chatbot, which I found really interesting. But I actually think it's probably because they were probably a bit ahead of the time. And I think now that we've got a bit more comfortable with conversational interfaces. I think the digital human thing, I don't want to mention the word metaverse because I don't know what's going on with that. And I don't know whether it'll even transpire <laughs> how it was billed last year. But kind of like you can see the opportunity for digital humans to be in more places, physical environments, digital environments. And so it seems as though they might have been a bit ahead of the time and that we might see a bit more of that. Do you think we'll see more of that in 2023? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if certainly if we've got anything to do about it, we will we'll certainly start to see that. Um, you know, I, th- I think you're right. I think w- w- there are kind of stepping stones to get to, to each bit of the technology. And I, I think we ideally, I think we'll see um, kind of a character pop up instead of, of kind of the chat window. But I don't think we're there yet. And I think the stepping stone will be a hybrid of that. So you'll see a character alongside or above the chat window still popping up so that customers can see that what they're saying is kind of being captured correctly. So it'll pop up in the windows as if you typed it in, for example, so that you can see that the speech to text has picked that up correctly and then also when it's obviously there are the responses spoken back to you and then the answer pops up straight after again it kind of gives you that confidence that, that everything is working um, and then i think we'll see the windows start to disappear and you'll just have the character um on screen i also think there's there's an element about the character itself and whether you go from um a very kind of cartoonish uh, kind of character or more of a stylized character right through to a, a very human-like meta-human looking character will cause um people to, to be turned on or off uh, to that interaction as well. I, I still think that the very human looking ones are still a little bit creepy, um, to be honest, when they're, when they're kind of uh, talking back to you. So, um, and I think Amelia was very kind of human-like, if I remember rightly. Um, it was kind of based around uh, trying to look as natural or realistic as possible. The most recent version was, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the older version was a little bit more kind of animated, um, but the newer version is definitely more human-like. There was something I come across, and I forget where it was now. Um, but it it might have even been with Danny Thompson from Unique Digital Humans when we had him on the podcast. I can't remember. Um, but it was all about how the realism of the human-like digital humans all comes down to the eyes and how effective the eyes are at kind of you know holding a gaze and and kind of like you know you can tell if someone's sad by looking at their eyes can't you so how do you yeah. design something like that because it's just such a subtlety um so i think that's kind of what scares people sometimes potentially with the digital humans is that their eyes are so convincing certainly the the unique ones yeah and i guess it's what what else is happening around the eyes because it's um so the partner that we work with is uh, effectively they were born out of the gaming industry so if you've mm-hmm. played kind of call of duty Fortnite, whenever you see a character on screen speaking uh, you know it's these guys behind that and, and they've realized that this is kind of a, um another opportunity um for them to kind of move this technology further um and it's around um animation through muscle um, so it's kind of applying uh, kind of human-like muscle movement to um, uh, to a cartoon or a, you know a, a character, um, and then so you, you're right in terms of how the eyes move rather than staying fixed, and what happens around the eyes. So do you get kind of wrinkles? You know how the face kind of moves and, and conveys kind of emotion as well. Um, all, all has to be in tune, and it's you know it's really kind of fascinating to see how the um, the picture gets gets the the muscles added and gets kind of uh, built up in layers uh, to, to to form much more of a, a human-like. Um, interaction. Mm. I suppose that the the other side of it would be that, let's say, if we put your hat on from last year or the year before and a client comes to you saying, we want a chatbot, and the question is why, if someone comes now and says, I want a digital human, and you were to ask them why, what would their response be, do you think? Um, I would imagine it would be much more around kind of brand engagement um, and getting people to, to stick with the brand because I, th- I think the, the character is a, it's got to be a marketer's dream right because you can dress it up in all kinds of different ways it can do you know you, you can wear just a branded t-shirt or it could be a specific uh, kind of character that they create um, or indeed any brand that already has a character um, you know just can be effectively animated in this way and, and can start to speak um, and of course now with, um, with the ability uh, to kind of um, create the neural voices uh, where you know it could be you or I uh, our voices or even a celebrity voice uh, that then your chatbot could effectively take on um, that person, that character um, in real life, in real time. 
Um, so I, I think it'll be much more around they want uh, greater engagement um, probably less around kind of just the customer service angle and the FAQ and the contact deflection will be much more about trying to keep people um, in whichever digital channel they've chosen to, to interact with the character and complete some kind of transaction mm. yeah that uh, Danny Thompson from Unique Digital Humans did mention that the conversion rate on conversations was twice as good with a digital human versus like a chatbot um, yeah, which is it comes down to, to social intelligence. I think, you know, digital characters that, that display, um, uh, intelligently display emotion, empathy through the facial expressions have, uh, or at least convey uh, a level of social intelligence. And it's that social intelligence which then determines uh, levels of engagement, attention, learning, um, and how much we're willing to kind of persist with the relationship. Um, and, and that would then translate into to, to what you mentioned there in terms of that uh, conversion. Mm, it's interesting. Do you think that there will be kind of certain use cases that kind of digital characters would be better suited to that require more kind of engagement? Or do you think that we'll just we'll see it kind of all over the place, all, all, think- all use cases? Yeah, I think ultimately it will get to all use cases. Um, I think where you start will be interesting. Um, so I think you, you we may see... Um, it's interesting because ultimately the character uh, has got to be backed up by the brain, right? If the brain isn't very good, then the whole kind of thing fails. Um, and same with the text-to-speech and the speech-to-text. You know, if any of these component parts break down, then the whole experience fails and ultimately the character fails. But I think um, once you've got confidence in uh, kind of the brain that's working in the background, um, sales would be an ideal um, kind of place uh, to, to have uh, to have a digital human because, again, it, it creates that level of social intelligence and engagement and being able to trust the character um, and the character can effectively try and sell you something, you know, can help you build something through the, all the various different tools that are on uh, the website and then drop it in the basket for you to check out. But I think the other the other um, use case is um, in more kind of complaints um, and the character's ability to try and diffuse the situation. You know, some people, are, when they when they complain, um, is, it a, is it a complaint or is it an expression of dissatisfaction? And do we want something formal to happen or do we just want to be acknowledged? Um, and so being able to vent at something which is intelligently um, showing on their facial expressions that it's hearing you, it's understanding you, it's giving you some support, um, a potentially a solution, and that might be enough to stop a formal complaint being raised. So I think that's a, a potential use case as well. Mm, it's interesting that, isn't it? I, I used to work in government and the amount of complaints in in air quotes complaints that come through that are not really complaints really it's just people having a gripe and there's yeah. nothing really that there's there's no hook there's no substance to it it's just a, it's just a moan uh it causes people a lot of time to sit and read those emails to figure out what's actually a complaint and what's not it's crazy uh, exactly yeah so yeah a character uh, i think we, it's obviously unproven from our perspective at the moment i think that would be a fantastic place to, to kind of start with it yeah Mm. Have you, is there any clients that are using the digital humans sort of live at the moment or have you got any other examples of you know companies that you've come across that are using them effectively for these kind of use cases so we don't have anything live at the moment we have a couple of conversations um ongoing uh, which would be pretty cool uh, to try these out but um it, it's we i mean the conversation that we're having there's there's one is about putting the putting it on the website so you know it does sit in front of the chat button and top of the chat window um and the other conversation is around putting it in um like a kiosk environment so it is um at a physical location uh where you can just go to it um and, and talk to it and hopefully get uh, get some guidance back um that comes with obviously other challenges around uh, kind of 
the acoustics and the environment that it's that it's placed in to make sure that um, those component parts can pick up what's being said accurately and, and again speak it back um, with the right level of uh, uh, of audio as well. So um, it, it's interesting, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we get there for it. And I think yeah. I think being able to take the character, and we talked about kind of omnichannel having that one brain, being able to take the character with you as well. So if you start, you might start online, um, and then you tell you know they tell the AI that ultimately you have to go, and the AI can say, well, um, why don't you take me in the app with you and pick up the conversation wherever you left off, and then you know you take it with you. Um, and same same with if you're going to uh, in the location, if you're halfway through getting some advice, and um, I don't know your, your train comes for example, and you need to get on the train, you can then take the conversation with you on the train as well. So. Mm, yeah that's good that's definitely good yeah there's some interesting conundrums that arise with in in physical locations um you mentioned their acoustics and, and noise and stuff like that and it's kind of i hope that i don't know if it's 2023 that'll be the year but at some point the kind of cost has to come down like we were talking to lner who did a trial in newcastle train station of digital humans and it worked well you know it worked decent there's a couple of dodgy videos on youtube where there's, it's not working and people are like you know moaning about it or whatever but i think i must have been like at a specific rush hour time because it was um you could see that it was really noisy but the reports from lner itself is is that you know it did fairly well but they got a lot of learnings and aside from obviously the the ambient noise the acoustic environment and, and that kind of stuff the the thing that was prohibitive at the time was in scaling it across all these different surfaces so like in an ideal world you'd have like three on every platform you'd have yeah. you know four or five in the terminal you'd have one in the toilets you know you'd have, you'd have them all over the place but you need the kind of the devices to house them the operating systems the internet connectivity and there's a lot of stuff that's kind of around the digital human to take into consideration so i'm hoping that kind of whether it's this year or next year we see that kind of thing come down but getting it on a website i think it's probably a better place to start isn't it because you're not you're not dealing with any of that kind of like infrastructure really no it's in, in, certainly in terms of a proving ground it would make sense to, to kind of start start there because then you'll understand if people are willing to um, interact with it in the first instance um, uh, and obviously it's it's much much simpler to, to deploy in that sense as well um, and I think once you have proven it then it then makes sense to, to try it externally and if you can get the hardware um, and the form factor around around that um, um, done properly um, then I think you'll have a kind of a fantastic experience between both uh, digital and physical. Mm, definitely. I've I've played around with I've played around with the unique. I've played around with saw machines, and I know saw machines have got something coming up, which I think will be quite interesting. Um, I don't know whether we can say about it, but like those those ones from what I've seen are fairly decent. I have seen some others that are super high-end digital humans. Soul Machines is really good. Unique is really good. But like I'm talking like as you mentioned, like computer generate like computer game style kind of animation and, and there's a couple uh sapient x for example they do some really good stuff like one, some of the designers design stuff for like harry potter and avatar and stuff like that and they're really impressive some of the others i've seen because they're so high definition they can be quite slow quite big in terms of file size and stuff like that to sort of deploy like is that something you've been sort of considering like how do we make this an engaging experience it's like a rich multimedia experience whilst making sure it doesn't sort of you know, need a rapid internet connection to run. Like, is there any technical challenges like that that you've kind of come across? 
They are. It's probably one for our, for the the partner we, we that we use in this space, and that the partner is called Rapport, um, uh, and it's a technical challenge that which they've had to overcome before really launching their product. So so we kind of launched with them uh, in kind of December um, twenty twenty one, um, when effectively they they'd cracked the the point of being able to uh, deploy this through the browser with no no latency, so that you can have a real time conversation nice. with a with a high definition um, kind of character um, and get all of that um, experience through as you'd expect it to do so. Um, so, so yeah. So th- there are technical challenges, and it, it took them uh, a while to kind of crack it, or at least get it to the to the place where they were happy with it, um, and certainly we were happy with it as well. Uh, but it is there now, um, and of course, the, the more detailed the character, the more uh, processing power required, um, and whether you can do as much of that in the cloud before pushing to the browser, I think, is the key. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I've never come across a report. I'm just on the website now. Yeah, it looks decent. Um, yeah. So, what what else do you think then is is kind of coming? We've spoke about large language models. Definitely think they're going to have a big impact. Uh, I definitely think I agree. We're going to see some use cases with digital humans uh, hitting the web. Um, what kind of given that it's the first podcast of the new year, what kind of other things do you think we might see this year from a from a CX automation, from an innovation, from a AI conversational AI kind of perspective? So it's interesting. I've, I've just got back from CES. I was in uh, Las Vegas last week. Um, going to the to the mad show that uh, that is CSS CES um, uh, and it's interesting so from an AI perspective, um, everyone seems to be pushing a version of AI at the moment. Um, it's interesting that BMW and Mercedes they were looking at um, I think BMW call it um, digital um, digital emotion experience or something something along that lines. Um, and Mercedes have kind of pushed it as like a, a coach. Uh, effectively, it's going to be uh, an AI which helps you both in the vehicle and outside the vehicle. So it becomes much more of a kind of a lifestyle um, sort of assistant that, that kind of follows you around. Um, and LG had something similar as well with their kind of connected home devices um, where it'll be proactively trying to assist you rather than just being there when you need it and, and you ask questions. You know, if, if the, the example that they kind of gave was if you leave your laundry in the, in the washing machine and it detects you back in the kitchen after a while it'll kind of say you might want to take that out the lawn out the washing machine before it starts to smell and things like that so mm-hmm. um i think we're going to see a lot more of a kind of a this digital assistant kind of push from kind of the major brands technology brands um it'll be interesting to see how these brands um uh, kind of partner as well so um i think bmw have made a, a shout about their partnership with amazon um, and that's going to be kind of the, the the technology behind their digital assistant we've seen uh, the brand collaboration between honda and sony um so it's interesting that you know the, the automotive industry is, is kind of cotton on to the fact that software isn't hasn't hasn't and isn't um their kind of sweet spot and you know they should be partnering with people who can do this really well and if you put the two together you've probably got something quite special so that was interesting um as well we did see some of the um digital human stuff as well out there so again we, we think that'll probably happen uh, quite a lot in 2023 um but possibly the the largest kind of landscape out there that we saw was mixed reality um and obviously the metaverse was was mentioned at every opportunity but um there's lots of stuff around kind of ar and, and vr different uses for uh, kind of glasses with uh, ar capabilities and we, we tried a few out um, and it's interesting to see how far it's come along. So the glasses are not kind of ones that cover your face. It is much more kind of a natural um, kind of uh, eyewear. Uh, and you can see things very, very clearly on on the um, 
uh, on the lenses themselves, um, but not necessarily in great amount of, uh, or sort of say rich uh, kind of media detail. It's much more uh, kind of transcriptions of conversations kind of pushing across the, across the screen that way um, is what we saw while we were there. Um, I know Apple have got potentially a, uh, a solution coming out this year, which will be interesting to see uh, what direction they've taken as well. But um, yeah, mixed reality and, and we'll see if the metaverse takes off or not, I think this year. Mm, interesting. Yeah, the mixed reality thing I can definitely understand. Um, and when you were talking about BMW and Mercedes there, it's kind of like th- there's a a challenge there that kind of like all of these companies, obviously, it's in their interest to try and build customer relationships, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, taking the relationship from the vehicle outside of the vehicle gives them an opportunity to build a stronger relationship. BMW has got a bunch of subscription services now, hasn't it, in the vehicles that you can turn on, like, air conditioning by paying £5 a month or something like that. Uh, I don't know whether that will work long term or not because it seems crazy. But, uh, yeah. uh, you can, so, so, but having said that, anyway, you want to take this experience outside of the car, an LG, same sort of thing. It's got devices. It's got stuff happening on them devices. How do you communicate what's happening and allow the user to engage with those devices? Seems to me as though what's missing is that core platform layer because otherwise you're going to get a notification from BMW when it detects someone's too close to your car. You're going to get a notification from LG on your phone when your washing's done. And you're going to get all these random notifications from all these random places to the point where you're just going to be saturated and you're going to turn them all off because it's like it's not that much of a value add to know when your, when your dishwasher's finished. So kind of like, it's, it's almost like Alexa, for example, or a Google Assistant. Yeah. Is that kind of operating layer through which everything can surface? It's just whether or not those companies. Are, uh, I know that Amazon's got the interoperability initiative, which might be what BMW is involved in. But it's almost like that seems for me to be the missing kind of piece. Is that the a layer for it all to go through? You know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, each. Uh, each platform is going to want to have their own kind of ecosystem, which makes sense. Um, but likewise, I, th- I think to some degree, we saw this with the kind of the major cloud providers when when they first took off. So um, Google, Amazon, Microsoft um, have slowly um, come together and, and decided that, yes, that we each have our own kind of sweet spot to some degree. Um, and we are going to allow some interoperability between each of the different cloud services. So, you know, it work, everything works that you want to work because people will want to use different services from different providers to do that. I think we probably head for the, for this to work. We have to head in that, a similar direction in that uh, there has to be that level of interoperability uh, between um, smart devices, uh, digital assistants. Um, uh, and we have that the, the new Matter protocol, which is coming out, which um, apparently everyone has signed up to and will allow kind of all uh, kind of IoT devices to, to work across all of the different um, kind of platforms as well. So maybe that's the answer. And again, we'll, I guess we'll find out in time this, this year, I would expect we'll, we'll see how that's, uh, how that's going to take off, if not. Yeah, we've got the EU as well, isn't it? The EU legislation, which basically said that like these digital assistants can no longer have the monopoly on the mic. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like it's almost like uh, you know the EU are trying to kind of get it to be more of an open mic night, like pass the mic. But uh, but yeah, it, that's definitely what needs to happen. Like this this, and I know that there's been the Amazon interoperability initiative, and I know the Open Voice Network are doing some stuff to try and define some standards and stuff. So it's all kind of there. Um, and I suppose really it's happening at a pace that's probably a bit a bit more in line with customer behavior, would you say? Like I don't know if people are I don't know if people are ready for that 
proactive, always on, ever present digital assistant that Amazon Alexa, I thought that Amazon Alexa would be in 2017. I think I was ready for it, but I was super keen about it. But I think the general public were just happy playing music. Same thing yeah. with chatbots. You know, conversational AI, for me, I think fast forward, I wouldn't like to put a year in it, but I've been saying five years. Every channel that a business has anyway is conversational. You look at messaging, email, website, in-person, mobile app. There's exchanges of information across all of those channels. It's more or less a version of a conversation. So having all of those channels conversational enabled <clears throat> makes perfect sense. <clears throat> so my kind of theory is that businesses will have the first touch point will be AI-mediated across all channels. And I thought that, that were, I thought we'd get there a lot sooner. So what are your thoughts in terms of like either business readiness or customer acceptance or uh, customer need do you think we're quite there from that point of view i think it's probably going to take um a couple of bigger brands to be to take that kind of leap Uh, i think i think we are there i think businesses are ready to adopt that if if they're brave enough to do so it's whether it's whether the customers are willing um uh, to to um to uh, interact in that way across all channels um but I think as long as you have that ability to get through to a, to a live advisor still, um, and probably customers need to need to be better informed about how to do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the, um, the IVR, you keep pressing zero or star, you'll eventually get through to a human without having to go through the menu, right? Uh, you know, certainly we always advocate that if you talk to our conversation and you just say, I just want to speak to a human, you go through to a human. Um, now, we might put a little buffer in there that says, uh, I can put you through to a human, but I'm really good at talking about these topics and listed topics to try and you know get the customer to engage and, and try and self-serve. But ultimately, if the customer says no, we will just kind of push you straight through to, to a live advisor. And I think if that option is still there, we, we can kind of see that take up um, quite quickly. Uh, but it will take some bravery more on the kind of the brand and business side rather than the customer side. I think customers will not do as they're told. That's probably not the right way to, to phrase it. But we'll, you know, if they if they've they kind of given that opportunity to to have the conversation with uh, an AI, they they will ultimately take it um, uh, and, and see if they can get the, the value out that they're trying to get to. Yeah, mm. <clears throat> it's the old um, or is it nudge? I think it might be nudge. Uh, I forget the authors of that book, but it's that nudge theory. Oh no, is it nudge or is it? Uh... It might be nudge. Anyway, it, there's there's the whole kind of concept in psychology of people tend to try and avoid losses rather than seek gains. Yeah. And so people are a bit more defensive than they are offensive. It seems to me as though what we really need in the world is kind of what you've just said, which is more businesses to be on the offense rather than on the defense. And so hopefully we see a few breakthrough cases um in in this year well obviously on the interoperability side we need to see a bit more than that i'm kind of referring to the whole kind of omnipresent omni-channel ai mediated across all conversational channels kind of thing that really is an opportunity and eno in the us has actually proven the value of that to really have a measurable and transformative impact on on your brand there's some capital one customers that don't do anything other than engage with eno at what point does Capital One become Eno for a certain generation of people, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like you need to be on the offensive, don't you, in this game at the moment? Yeah, I think you you probably have to prove it in, in one channel and do one channel really, really well to kind of um, gain both uh, confidence on the business side and also on the customer side um, that it will work across multiple channels. Because like you say, most channels are conversational to some degree, uh, if not completely. Um 
it's obviously no good if you're not doing very well in one channel to put something across all channels which is not going to be very good which would be consistent but, but not great um, so yeah I think prove it in one channel uh, and then take the leap and, and start to roll it out across other channels um, and I think you'll find that customers um, tend to appreciate the consistency um, as long as they understand that if they need to get to a human they do have that option still mm, definitely definitely agreed nice one James it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate it uh, thank you people can find out more about Capita at Capita.com that right yes that'll do yep is there any other places you would you would send people or any other resources or places where you'd recommend people go to either learn about this stuff or you know keep up to date with various news or whatever it might be any resources you'd recommend um, certainly we're pushing out as much uh, kind of thought leadership as we can through Capita so you can um, can search for these things on Capita.com you can search for me I push some stuff uh, through to Capita.com as well um, and articles will be kind of pushed there um, Otherwise, uh, I would say on top of ChatGPT and uh, search that across uh, kind of Twitter and TikTok and, and see how people are using it and, uh, um, yeah, be amazed. Nice. It is amazing. It is pretty much amazing. We published, uh, when was it? It was the other week we published, um, it was five, 15 ways that conversation designers can use ChatGPT, uh, like use it today, uh, which, yeah. is, uh, which is really good. And VoiceFlow have just implemented uh ai assist which uses gpt3 i believe it is to demonstrate how this could stuff could work in practice which is really good i definitely recommend people check that out um and we've got another one coming which is a little bit more looking at the the other side of it like the risks involved in in using these large language models in future so um that'll be interesting but yeah nice one appreciate it, james thank you so much and if you are still you. tuning in do join us at the uh, the EU Chatbot Summit in Edinburgh on March the 16th. I'll put all of the details in the show notes. I just need to go and dig out the link and the promo code. You can save 30% off and we're going to have an amazing day of networking, of information and knowledge sharing, and uh, it's going to be amazing. So we'll see you there. Thanks again, James. Absolute pleasure. And thank you all for tuning in. Thank you. In.